0: You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. It's the Martha Zoller Show, and we are talking to Major David Baruch, an IDF spokesperson, and we welcome you to the program. Thank you for making time for us.
1: Thank you for having me on the show.
0: First of all, just give us, as much as you can, an overview of where we are today in this conflict.
1: Well, I always start by remembering that today is the 67th day since Hamas terrorists came over our border on the Sabbath, on the 7th of October, killed, raped, and took hostage 137 people. And everyone wants to know what we're going to be doing, what we're doing now, when we're doing it, how we're going to be doing it. However, the most important thing is let's remember why this whole thing is taking place in the first place. And this is the why. The fact that Hamas came in, they attacked us, they took our citizens as hostages, and now we're reacting, and now we're acting. And so with that, I'll continue on. And maybe answer the question that you originally asked, but we can't ever forget the why. And as you know, we've been working in the north. We've pretty much a, taken control of the north. We're still heavy fighting within Jabalia and Sajaya, which are two towns in the north, and parts of Gaza City itself, although we have taken over the center of Gaza City as well. And obviously in the south, in Khan Yunis, where uh, a heavy fighting is going on right now. We're doing this in a slow and methodical manner for two reasons. One is we're trying to protect Israeli lives, the soldiers that were going down there, and there's some very heavy fighting going on, and we've taken a lot of casualties of our own as well, over a 100 of our soldiers, since we've started our ground maneuvers within Gaza. And obviously, and it, it needs to be stated, even though it is obvious, we're actually trying to... Decrease the number of possible civilian casualties amongst the Gazans themselves. At first, we told them to move south out of where we knew the heavy fighting was going to be. And now, even in the south, we've got a whole system of zones that we are telling this Gazan, the population there, out of this zone and move into another zone. And, we, and actually, we're putting ourselves at a bit of a disadvantage by doing this because we're telling Hamas what we're about to do yet we know this is a way to hopefully decrease the number of civilian casualties possible civilian casualties this being said we're, we're trying our best but hamas is doing its part to increase those civilian casualties they come over the border they attacked us then what did they do they ran back and they went into the tunnels underneath gaza now there's two gazas by the way there's the gaza that everyone sees above the ground and then there is Gaza underground and with the tunnel system. And that isn't for the citizens of Gaza. It's for Hamas. And the civilian population, the non-combatants are actually up on top. And they're getting off in the brunt when we go after Gaza, when we go after Hamas. And they're sitting in the, the, the their tunnels or they're sitting underneath hospitals or they're firing at us from schools or firing at us from mosques those become targets that sometimes we have to we have to go for and we're doing that
0: so to your point about what started all of this uh I all through the years I've always asked people who were serving on 911 what they were doing that day and and what happened that day so let's go back for just a moment before we go forward where what happened on October 7th for you
1: I'm a reserve officer in the IDF I was at home with my family. It was a holiday as well as not just the Sabbath, but it was also a holiday. Um, very early in the morning, I was already in the synagogue, and early in the morning, uh, we got the word, and slowly we, we realized things were getting worse. I went home, um, and I probably had to do the hardest thing I've ever had to do, is that my son, who's also a reservist in a combat engineering unit, I had to take him uh, to war. I had to drive him to the meeting place where his um, brigade was meeting. Not an easy thing for a father to do to take well, his son to war. Um, and much easy, probably much easier for me when I was called up as well. Since then, his younger sister, who also was reservist, has been called up as well. And another son is also serving as well. So well, thank, thank for you. us, it hasn't been easy.
0: So thank you and your family for that service because...
1: We're- it's
0: important.
1: And we're no different than thousands of other families, tens of thousands of other families. And that's what's really the point here as well, is that that was my own personal experience. A lot of other families have experiences just like that. And that's what Israeli society is is about. We're, we're citizens. And yet, when attacked, we know how to act. And we, we know that we have a job to do. And uh, we, we we take that call.
0: Yes. Um, earlier today, a letter was released from a IDF uh, soldier who died and he had written this letter to be released if he were to die. And he talked very eloquently about that service, you know, and what it meant to him and how proud he was that even though he ended up giving his life, how proud he was to have been able to serve in that way. Um, and that's, you know, that's the important thing. That's the face that we're trying to put on this conflict because this war, um, because my dad was a World War Two veteran, he was a POW in in Germany. Um, he, uh, you know, spent the rest of his life kind of dealing with all of that. Uh, I'm thankful he came home because I wouldn't have been born if if he had not come home. But um, but it's that kind of thing that we have to remember and we have to never forget. We say that a lot, never forget. But we, it's things like this that make people be sure that they never forget. On the thing you mentioned about zones and moving people around, um, I'd like to hear a little more about how you defend Palestinian civilians as they're evacuating and what some of the challenges are, because this is asymmetrical warfare. This is not typical warfare where... One group has on one uniform and another group has on another uniform and you know who the, who you're fighting. So talk us through a little bit of that.
1: Well, that's absolutely true. We're actually, it, it is not asymmetric and they often, they usually don't have uniforms, the fighters. We see them with, with guns. We know they're fighters. Oftentimes we don't. Now what we're finding actually in these last few days, especially in the northern areas around Sajaya and Jabalia, um, we're having a lot of people surrendering to us, and we've arrested a number of them. Over 500 since we've started over the last month, not since we started, but over the last month, have been arrested, mostly from Hamas, also from the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. And many others have also surrendered to us. We've interrogated them. We've spoken with them. We found out if they're Hamas or not Hamas. And they've been released, those that aren't members of Hamas or those who aren't fighting right now. And so we, we've released them. It's definitely a serious issue for us. And it's a difficult one because we, we, we don't believe that our battle is against the citizens of Gaza, of the whole Gaza Strip. Where our, our battle is against Hamas and Hamas isn't an organization that we, 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 we've seen even with the, the, the statistics they're throwing out there all the time. We're dealing with, they're, they're, there's no way that anybody can know the numbers that they're throwing out there. I certainly don't know the numbers. I only know one number, and this one goes back to your father as a POW as well, is that I know that there are 137 civilians and military who have been taken, kidnapped into Gaza. That's the only number that I can actually honestly say is 100% true. Any other number not regarding the civilians we moved out we're, we're, we we we've got this grid system with small areas blocks at a time telling so we know and the people in Gaza know the area and they know the grids well it's not it's not something we've just came up with and we said learn this really quickly it's based on their knowledge of the area as well and what we've done we've told them move from this area to that area that actually is saving a lot of lives it's not Possible that it's 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 not an easy situation for the people there. I'm certain of that. This is war. It's also not easy for the people in Israel who have also been displaced from their homes—a quarter of a million, up to a quarter of a million people that have been displaced. They've had to do that as well. Things are not easy for anybody. We're trying to with work with the international communities and the international aid groups to bring in aid to them as well. We're doing that. Oftentimes, the world organizations that are supposed to be helping are actually not helping as well, and we're getting a lot of that as well.
0: To that point, um, and you may not know the answer to this question, that's all right. Um, You would think that the International Red Cross would be demanding access to the hostages because that was part of the deal that allowed a ceasefire for a few days and some hostages to be released. But I haven't seen anything. Maybe I've missed it. I haven't seen anything from the International Red Cross saying, we demand to see these hostages, and we're going to make an issue of this. Has there been?
1: I'm a spokesperson for the Israel Defense Forces, and I don't think I'm the right person to be speaking to this issue about the International Red Cross or the Red Crescent or anything like that. I know that, like you said, they're supposed to be visiting and bringing medicines to those individuals. I know that there is a representative of the Red Cross here in Israel right now. I would actually think it would be great if you'd get them on your show and ask them these I
0: I, I am going to. I'm working on that. Um, much of Hamas's leadership is outside of Israel. I know that the goal is to get rid of Hamas. Um, how do you approach, I mean, uh, when you have leadership that's living high on the hog outside of Israel?
1: We have two goals to this operation, by the way. And we can't forget that. The first, they go, they're a first and the other first, by the way. The two goals are bringing home those 137 hostages and totally dismantling Hamas's ability to ever do what they did again on the 7th of October. And it's important. And they, two go hand in hand. We believe that as we put more pressure on them, they like we did in the previous month, they were actually letting, (coughs) excuse me, they were actually letting hostages free. Without the pressure, they're not doing that. So that was, that's with the, the hostages. And we have to keep the pressure up on them. Hamas, wherever they are, we've shown this already, whether they be in Gaza or whether they be in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, whatever you want to call it. We're going after Hamas there as well. And we're going after Hamas even in Lebanon. And we're going Hamas other places around the world. Our political leadership and our military leadership have both said that wherever Hamas and people involved with the attack on the 7th of October are, it may take a day, it may take a week, it take a month, it may take years, but every one of them is going to be brought to justice.
0: You know, I mean, the thing, and this is what I don't understand is how many things I don't understand about this conflict, but what I don't understand is how the Palestinian people don't see that Hamas's goal is to end Israel, to kill Jews, and they don't care how many Palestinians die on the way to doing that. I don't understand why they don't see that. It seems very apparent to me. But the second thing is that so much money has been put into uh, Palestinian aid over the years. Gaza could be Singapore. You know, Gaza could be this fabulous place that people want to go to but the money and i don't expect you to answer this you're the idf spokesperson i just want to get this off of my chest you know that money has been used to build munitions and tunnels and and fight israel when it could have been used to make the lives of the people better i, I don't understand it it's it's hard for me uh it's so outside my realm of of possibility and i know you live with it every day so it's it's hard, it's probably easier for you to understand <laughs>
1: Our political leadership made the decision 18 years ago to leave Gaza 100% and displace Jews that were living in Gaza into Israel proper, not in the Gaza Strip. Gush Katif as it's referred to in Hebrew. We made that decision and that was a political decision by our leadership and we as the military took part in that and undertook to do that mission. It was a beautiful area. Gaza has a lot of potential. We in the military are having no fun whatsoever being inside of Gaza right now. We know that it's not a very nice place to be right now. It's a war zone. War zones are not pretty. Okay? And there's been a lot of damage. I'm hoping that after all of this, that Gaza will be rebuilt and will be rebuilt upon educating the people of Gaza themselves, and that's where, in my opinion, the crux of all this has to be in the education, and it's another generation down the line. Instead of educating to hate, I never taught my kids to hate Arabs, to hate Palestinians, to hate anybody, and I'm expecting and I would hope that a new leadership will come up that will they don't have to love us, but at least not to hate us and to live with us.
0: So one final question, because I know you have to go. Uh, what are your concerns about another terrorist attack, either inside Israel or, or globally?
1: We're right now very concerned about such an attack, and we're 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 on alert. Obviously, we're in a war down south, and we have up front up north another front developing, and we're trying to to keep it so it doesn't develop into another front seriously. And to be quite honest, we had always learned about these, these. We always planned for certain scenarios that may happen. And we always thought that they may happen even more so up in the north with Hezbollah in, out of Lebanon. And we also thought they could happen down south as well. Not on this scale. We hadn't really thought about yet. So we're concerned that this may happen again up north as well or within Judea and Samaria. So terrorism is is something that we've been living with for many 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 years too many years so yes we're concerned with terrorism and yes we're concerned that things can develop into other more serious situations up north and also let's not forget our friends down south the Houthis in yemen what they're doing to not just israel but to maritime travel for all countries right now coming through that that strait near near yemen so Things are developing, and we need to really look at what the core of all this is. And perhaps we should be looking towards Iran, which is perhaps the 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 the, the basis of everything that's happening right now. They've been with Hezbollah, backing Hezbollah all around. They've been backing Hamas. They've been backing the Houthis in Yemen. We have to. If it looks like a duck, and it quacks like a duck, and it walks walks like a duck, then perhaps. We should be looking at that duck as Iran as well. It's
2: where North Georgia comes to talk. It's The Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN.
0: It is the Martha Zoller Show. Joining me right now is Bill Crane for Crane's, on Crane's Corner. And guys, there's several things going on right now. We've got this Giuliani situation that's going on that seems to never die. Um, we've got a number of things uh, related to Hunter Biden and really the Supreme Court taking up a case that has to do with January 6th, which is going to be very interesting. But let's start with Giuliani, um, Bill, that uh, to me this is the biggest fall from grace of the entire trump administration i mean this is a guy that was america's mayor he was uh trusted he cleaned up new york city in a way that nobody ever has and they really need a giuliani there now uh but he's sad now he's very sad
3: it's um it's depressing honestly to watch the decline and fall if you will of america's mayor i supported him early for president in 2004. Nobody remembers that, but he ran for president and he was kind of betting the farm on Florida and he got clobbered on Super Tuesday. And I think he came in third in Florida and dropped out of the race. I, you know, He had a lot of leadership skills, as you've just mentioned, that were well demonstrated in New York and, and recruited the Republican convention there after nine eleven to kind of demonstrate New York's safety was back in place. Um, I don't understand why he keeps making himself essentially the patsy here, That the, the Others in the Trump circle that have pled, including one of his legal aides, have acknowledged they were speaking half truths in multiple appearances before state legislatures, including one here in Georgia. Um, he has publicly commented and even acknowledged um, in front of a federal judge in a, one of the prior legal filings that it wasn't a conspiracy case, it wasn't a fraud case. Uh, my only assumption is perhaps that uh, the Trump legal machine has agreed quietly and behind closed doors. To cover his legal expenses or to pay the fines he may receive from this judge, because he's also wiped out financially. He recently listed his mansion in New York, his apartment, pardon me, not mansion in New York City for for sale. Um, he does not obviously make the hundred thousand dollars speaking fees he used to anymore. I, I don't think he's no. still receiving many royalties from his books. So, um, and his most recent marriage failed. So I, there's not a lot of. Potential for Rudolph Giuliani among the 19 indicted co-conspirators here in Georgia, in my opinion, to avoid prison time without a without a plea deal.
0: So, what you know, bringing it back to Georgia, you know, there's been really because of the uh, the fact that Fonnie Willis had to recuse herself or couldn't couldn't go after the lieutenant governor, Burt Jones. He's largely not been included in this discussion. Um, What do you think is ultimately going to happen with him? Will it just die out and then he's really been able to bide his time? Or is he going to eventually have to at least be deposed about what his role was?
3: I think he'll be deposed. But in terms of political, it's almost a badge of honor where his support base lies. And when we're looking at the gubernatorial election in 2026, um, which I think may shape up on the GOP side to a, a primary contest between Attorney General Chris Carr and Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones. Being a part of that fake elector slate and being a defender of Donald Trump will be one of the things he brags about. And, you know, I, I, I would hope by 2026 we're done looking backwards at 2022, but so far I'm not seeing any indications that's going to happen, or pardon me, looking back at 2020.
0: Do you uh,
3: the the GOP seems stuck? Large por- portions of it in Georgia and across the country. So in do you, the rearview mirror,
0: do you think Kelly Leffler runs in twenty twenty six?
3: I think the talk, or what kind of folks are trying to settle out at the top of the party's machinery, is whether she makes it a, a comeback attempt. Which I there are a lot of reasons I don't think she will. Uh, or Brian Kemp is running for the U.S. Senate against John Ossoff in twenty twenty six. I think the party wants to recapture one of those two senate seats and they'll have to have a discussion about who makes a stronger nominee i have my thoughts on that um, i don't think she's done with politics but i think she needs to demonstrate with the organization she's founded and perhaps holding a local elected office that she can lead in a political environment and there is a difference between governing and campaigning she's shown to be not the strongest campaigner but perhaps if she can rack up some substantive wins, as a mayor, as a as a member of Congress, as a county commissioner, then she can demonstrate her value. I, I don't question her business acumen. I've always wondered why she never talks about that. She's done some pretty phenomenal things, running one of the more successful NBA franchises, WNBA franchises in the country, uh, running the Bitcoin, um, uh, the e-currency, if you will, uh, transaction facilities of intercontinental exchange in multiple countries. But she never talks about that except for private events.
0: Well, and I love what she's done at Greater Georgia. I mean, she has really put her money where her mouth is, and she's doing the work that Republicans need to do across the board related to getting out the vote, and I think that's positive. Very interesting, though, there was a poll in the f- in the field a couple of months ago seeing what people thought about Marty Kemp running for Senate. Maybe not Brian Kemp running, but Marty Kemp. And it was very interesting. I don't know what the results of the poll were Um, there. You know, I I personally don't think just because you're married to somebody you should necessarily run. Look at Hillary Clinton. Look at, you know, I mean, there's a long list of people. It does. It isn't it isn't um you know unless your husband dies in office generally it it doesn't work out that well so um it'll be interesting to see if if something like that happens but you're right and and i've heard that that former senator perdue may be moving to nashville so he he had a long time that he spent in nashville and um he liked it there and so you know it's it, he's really off the radar and i don't think he's going to do that again but i do think that it's not unlikely that governor kemp um, might run for senate but again people that people governors are good candidates for senate but they usually don't like it when they get there
3: no it's (laughs) zell miller experienced It's you think it's going to be kind of all these lofty uh, gentlemanly debates and of course the, the body has changed a lot even since zell miller was in the senate for one term following the death of paul coverdell but it's brass knuckles politics. It's extremely partisan. The minority party is always looking to get gotcha on the majority party, no matter who the majority party is. Um, The Senate used to be where the kind of the great debates of the nation occurred and the breaks, if you will, on fast-moving legislation that might come up in the latest hot topic on the U.S. House side. That's not the U.S. Senate anymore. I'm a big fan of uh, First Lady Marty Kemp, and I had the occasion to meet her when her father was a legislator out of Athens, Bob Argo, on the Democratic side years ago. And she's arguably been in and around politics a lot longer than the governor has. But my take on her and my conversations with her over the years is she's not a creature of Washington.
0: No, I don't think she's a woman who loves her
3: family and she loves Georgia. And so though I wouldn't say elective office is out of the question for her, I'd be surprised if she sought an office that caused her to have to spend the half of a third of her time in Washington, D.C.
0: So a couple of other things. Um, you know, the mantra this week related to the border is, one, you had Homeland Security and FBI saying there's heightened risk, and it's it's a high-alert kind of risk. Those are Biden administration people. I mean, it, you could argue the FBI head was appointed by Trump, but he stayed on with Biden, so those are Biden-appointed Biden's mantra, along with Schumer and all that, is that, hey, on day one, we put forward an immigration plan and nobody took it up. And the Republicans didn't take it up. Now, what they're forgetting and they're hoping you forget is that for the first two years of the Biden administration, the Democrats controlled the House and the Senate. OK, they it was about seven days into it that they got the Senate control, but they got they were control of the House and the Senate. So it's Democrats that didn't take it up. It didn't go
3: anywhere. As then, happened with Barack Obama, who lost control of both chambers two years into his. First
0: absolutely. Term. So then when he lost control of the House of Representatives in 2022, they put forward what they what's called House Bill two, which is the Republican answer to what Biden put forth. So, you know, I've been reaching out to our senators very vehemently that they have been on this program saying if you don't have a border, you don't have national security. And they need to lead the charge of a bipartisan effort to get this border stuff done, because I don't think it makes it is a a problem to say, yes, Ukraine will help you. Yes, Israel will help you. But we need to make sure our border is secure, too.
3: I think the number and I've. I've heard a couple reported differently, but somewhere between 118 and 180 known and identified terrorists have been taken into custody at the border, our Mexican border. Think of the number that were not detained or Mm -hmm. arrested. Um, We've known for several years the existing policies don't work. We've known that there has to be, and my Republican friends aren't going to love hearing this, but there has to be at some point a legal path to citizenship that accounts for – the several million Americans or several million non-Americans who are illegally in our country, but who've been here for, for several years, there needs to be a policy and a rationale for keeping people in Mexico, waiting transfer as was put in place by the Trump administration, but is not really holding well in the in the Biden administration. But it's one of those third rail issues like Social Security eligibility or raising the retirement age that neither party wants to touch even two years out from a presidential election or about to enter a presidential election year so i think this one unfortunately just stays nuclear hot with very little getting done if or until we have another successful terrorist attack on the united states
0: well i mean honestly i i would disagree with you that that this is a third rail issue maybe it is within the houses of Congress. But I think when you talk to people on the street, Democrats and Republicans, I have never heard the number of Democrats say, we got to stop this. You know what I mean?
3: I agree with you on that. I just think they don't want to touch it because they see it as is fraught with whatever solution is is hammered out will be deemed insufficient by some group, and it's almost better to keep an a limbo like it's been since the 1986 Immigration Reform Act when Tip O'Neill was Speaker and Ronald Reagan was President. We've had some acts since then, piece of legislation, but nothing in the way of an omnibus bill.
0: That's right. To deal with both borders. we got to do it. we got to do it. Now, uh, one, one final question, and we need to be kind of quick on it. Of course, I don't All know right. if you followed what happened with Hunter Biden, that he drove up to the Capitol, made a public statement, and then drove away. I so, saw the little news yeah. coverage of the drama. Yeah, so, I mean, it was good to hear his actual voice. I mean, because, you know, it was it was nice to hear that. And he basically said what his father said, there's nothing to do with any of this. But it's really hard to believe that when he's saying things like Ukraine, China, and my father had nothing to do with it, it makes no sense.
3: I'll just very simply put it this way. How does Joe Biden, who was in the Senate for 30-some-five-plus years, other than one book deal, explain his vast fortune and his real estate holdings today.
0: I think that's exactly the way to leave it. Bill Crane, thank you for being with me today.
3: Take care.
2: Putting the talk in News Talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN.
4: No, I, I'm I'm not inclined to help. And, and, and you know, you never say never, but I am not inclined to support any more You help to Ukraine at this time. If we want f- to take care of an invasion, y'all have already said it. You know, they're trying to tie Ukraine with our southern border. We've got an invasion on that southern border. And-
0: it is the Martha Zoller Show, and that is Congressman Mike Collins, and he is with us right now. Mike, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are
4: you doing, Martha?
0: Good. So... How how are you doing? <laughs>
4: <laughs> you know, you just, you just keep running. And, uh, of course, being in the trucking industry, is 24-7 anyway, so it's, uh, it's kind of like it. Being, being, yeah, you're used to it.
0: So, tell us about, you were the first freshman to get a bill passed and signed by the president, or will be signed by the president. Tell us about that.
4: Yeah, how about that? It uh, You know, it's just common sense legislation and uh, passed the house unanimously and then went over to the senate they made a few changes and sent it back but it's just good solid legislation that's going to get some help and protection to our law enforcement our border patrol people that are out there being exposed to all of these things that are being added to fentanyl and uh, you know we've got narcan that, that can help them protect them from fentanyl but uh, when you start adding things like this the veterinary tranquilizer mess to it or xylozine, uh, there's really nothing out there, and and they're exposed to it, and uh, we owe it to them to uh, to do everything we can to make sure that they are protected and have the tools they need to do their job.
0: And tell people the name of the bill.
4: It's, it's the Trank Research Act.
0: And uh, what? Just, do, uh, how should people look for that? Because I think people need to know about what you're doing.
4: Yeah, no, they can. You can You can Google the Trank Research Act, and uh, and and it should come up. Um, it's it's really been highly uh, talked about. Yes, uh, yes. So from all I corners. I mean, it's, so a, it, it,
0: it, it's a great common sense move, and I'm really glad that somebody from Georgia was able to be the first one to get that through. Um,
4: so well, I appreciate it. You know, we always say we're you know I'm I mean, as conservative as you can get, um, but uh, but we're also going to be effective up here, and when we see common sense things that that need to be done, we're going to push them, and uh, you know. And we we were able to push this thing in short order and and get it on through. Actually, I think we could have got it passed and signed, uh, you know, maybe a month and a half ago. But we had to take a few weeks and, and, uh, you know, get a few things happening,
0: right? Um, So (laughs) you there's a lot going on up there right now. We're going to just kind of quickly get through a few of the things. Certainly. the the aid to Israel, the aid to Ukraine, and the work on the southern border. It's very logical to me that if we're concerned about security in the Middle East, which we are, we're concerned about Ukraine. But, of course, I think they need more accountability. I want to know what does $61 billion going to do that $100 billion hasn't done, and what have you done with the $100 billion? But that's a discussion that needs to be had. But tying it to border security seems to me logical because we've let a whole bunch of people cross the border that are from countries that don't like us that are known terrorists who knows how many people have gotten through that we don't know and kareem jean pierre is out there saying what you guys are proposing is going to make things worse when the fact of the matter is it's gotten worse every single day since joe biden's been in office
4: yeah i would love you know history can dictate uh, who's telling the truth on that pretty easy Uh, You know, my biggest problem that I have up here is how we tie everything together. I mean, good Lord, we're willing to vote more than once a day. We could stay up here more than three days a week. You know, take them on single issues. But I understand, we're not going to give, you know, what you need unless you put in there stuff that we need. Well, as far as Ukraine, it's time for the European Union to really step up for that. You know, we had Putin on the ropes when we were energy independent. And he didn't have any money to do anything. Well, we've kind of created that, that, that scenario where he's, he's wealthy now, but we could easily fix that. But we have, we have done more for Ukraine than the entire European Union. The people over there that are, that are surrounding Ukraine, France, Germany, they're, they're well off. They can help with this, and they should, but they don't. Everybody sits back and waits on the United States of America to do everything. You know, and you're right, Martha, we've, we've not only got hotspots in Europe with Ukraine, but you look at the Middle East with Israel. You look at Asia with Taiwan, even the Marshall Islands, Guam, that area is, is all being attacked uh, or put pressure on by China. And so they're on the move, too. You know, it, it's not just that one area of Ukraine that we need to be focused on. And Israel deserves our support. You know, and that's another thing, Martha, you talk about accountability. Israel's already told you exactly what they need, how they're going to spend it and what they're going to do to say this is the end and this is how we're going to end. This is what we want to do. We want to get rid of terrorists. We want to get our hostages back. And that includes American hostages. And we want to diminish Iran's uh, role and how they affect things in the, in the Middle East over there. They can tell you right off the bat. But when you ask Ukraine, what's the end game? Well, you know, we're just gonna go over there and fight and push them out of our country. That, there's no there's no real definition of what win is for them.
0: So, Mike, I've got a concern where um it I know that, that you can do a lot of things and I think you've touched on it that you think the house needs to be working more, and I agree. Because it looks like to me, and maybe I've missed it, that since Thanksgiving there hasn't been any more progress on passing any appropriations bills. Um, which y'all were on a pretty good clip before Thanksgiving. And then mm-hmm. we've got these other issues um, that were voted on yesterday. The, the impeachment inquiry, you had the circus with Hunter Biden outside of the Capitol. It just seems to me that the House needs to be more focused on the, the basic business, the building blocks, whether it's the budget, the real things that keep this government going, kind of like the first steps you would do in your own business. I, oh, I'm amen. concerned yeah. Yeah. that they say they can walk and shoot gum at the same time, but it doesn't look that way from here.
4: We don't try it. That's for sure. You know, we, we, do, we definitely don't try that. And I just walked off the House floor uh, before I called you and did a one-minute speech. You know, when we get back. That's where my focus and that's where the focus of the House needs to be is passing those remaining appropriation bills. That's from this year. That's from the end of September that, 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 you know, that those appropriation bills were supposed to focus and and set budgets for. But we also need to start on next year's appropriations immediately. You know, I I don't care. We, We don't control the Senate. We don't control what the White House does. But by God, we can put our own budget together and then we can start working on appropriation bills in January, February, as soon as we get that top line number and then have those appropriation bills done. And what you're not trying to jam or figure out which which fire you've got to put out immediately when it gets time to, for people to think they've got to go home this week for Christmas. hey, I'm willing to come back next week. I'm fine. I Christmas mean,
0: you were one, one of the best at being able to separate, you know, the fun sense of humor side, you know, the, the, chief, the, the chief memer in Congress and all of that. <laughs> but you also know how to get the work done. And and I got to tell you, Mike, they have got to start to, immediately when they get back and they need to work every day until we get caught up.
4: I agree with you 100 percent. You know, a lot of people say, well, you got you know, we got to run home, run home. Uh, back to the district, and then you get back to the district, so you can tell people what you got to get back up here to work on. In my opinion, the people in your district and the people across this country would think more of us if we stayed up here and did our job first, and then went home. No matter how long it takes. And and so that's what that's where I'm pressing. And uh, good Lord willing, I hope that's what we do coming out to starting block the first week we get back up here in January.
0: Yep, I think it's the last time we're going to put it off, right? We're going to get the work done next January, right?
4: <laughs> well, you know, they you can fool me the first time. I, I'll, I'll have put that up as being a freshman. But uh, you better believe we will I'll be talking about it off January to Ab- get that budget done.
0: Absolutely. Mike Collins, thank you so much for being with us today. And good luck to you. And I know you're going to be working hard.
4: Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate it. If I don't talk to you, y'all have a Merry Christmas. It's local radio, and that's
2: why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN.
0: Michael Levine is joining me right now. Uh, he is one of the authors of... Uh, he is the author of Gorilla PR, the best-selling public relations book in the history of mankind. And uh, he also has great insights on a number of things. And Michael... Over the weekend, of course, the president of the University of Pennsylvania resigned. But the president of Harvard, who had a problem before October 7th with a Palestinian event she was hosting at Harvard, which was very anti-Semitic, is doubling down and doesn't look like she's going to try to go anywhere.
2: It's a disgrace. I don't know what else to say. Um, History is not going to be kind to um, this era in American life, uh, all three of these presidents should have been fired immediately. They're all uh, a disgrace. If, if you value uh, honesty, if you value... Uh, if you find anti-Semitism as offensive as you would bigotry, um, then... All three of these uh, university presidents should have been fired. One was, two more to go. Now, I've just been told that Harvard intends to keep this woman, who is just an embarrassment and um, to the university, to the ideas of, of fairness, freedom. Uh, Harvard, by the way, I don't know if your listeners know this, Harvard is ranked... Uh, as the single worst university in America. Now, remember, Harvard, Harvard for free speech. In the free speech rankings, Harvard is ranked last. Now, uh, that's very worrisome. Uh, her her positions, uh, her her testimony before Congress was so embarrassing. I, I I, if a fourth grader had gone up and said what she said, I would be embarrassed of the fourth grader. So I I you know look, here's what listeners can do: never ever ever donate to colleges that you're not absolutely positively sure are not teaching anti-American indoctrination. Now, those are very few and far between. Second, I hope a boycott uh, of some type, I don't know what type, actually, uh, can be... I I hope Harvard pays a very, very steep price for this decision to keep her, because it... um, if she had said what she had said about African-Americans or any uh, or Hispanics, she would be fired in five seconds. But to say it about Jewish people in America is apparently considered acceptable. And um, it's it's a it's very sad.
0: And I spoke with um, uh, former Harvard Law professor Alan Dershowitz, who yep. wrote a book after yep. I mean, starting on October 7th. And has gotten it to publication already. Uh, and we talked about that book. But also, he was one of the first uh, yep. Jewish professors at Harvard Law and ha- stayed there yep. for a very long time. Fifty years, yep. I think, he was affiliated with the university. But, recent- but recently, he was not allowed to speak there uh, because yep. it right. was too controversial. And he well, said-
2: controversial means in Harvard, in elite university speak, controversial simply means you have commonsensical ideas that do not agree with the radical uh, notions that are being uh, indoctrinated to every student. If you want to know, by the way, Martha, you, if you're sitting baffled at how America got to the place it got, right? Right. All you have to do is consider that for the last 20 years, students 18 to 22 years old have been indoctrinated in a certain mindset, a certain uh, philosophy that has been able to marinate now for 20 years now think about how many college, how many in twenty years, how many students went to college, and elite universities. Now these people all have jobs now. And think about what has become of this country since that twenty-year experiment. I don't think it's worked out too well. So um, anyway, it's it's very very depressing. These elite universities. Harvard, MIT, U, University of Penn. Which well, I'm delighted they fired her. By the way, when they said when the, when it said that they fired her, they did fire her. But she still has a tenured position. She's still getting paid. Um, it's a disgrace. It's just a disgrace. And that testimony in Congress was one of the most embarrassing uh, episodes I, I think I've ever seen in my life. Do
0: you believe? Because you're more cynical than I am, even though yeah, you know, that's true. You were more cynical that than is I true. am. But that many, is people, true. many people I've talked to think that that was a turning point, that that's going to be, be one of the things we look back on and say, Listen, this I is think what it could us. be. Yeah.
2: It could be. Now, I'm disappointed. Look, I was delighted. I think it could be. It certainly exposed them. <laughs> they, they, uh, look, One professor was fired immediately, or resigned, (laughs) supposedly resigned, immediately, right? So I said, when I read that, I said, oh, great, one down, two to go. But it doesn't appear that the other two are going to go. And it's very, very dispiriting. Uh, It could have been a turning point, and it should have been a turning point um and i i beg your um listeners to try to go on youtube if they didn't see the testimony i mean your your mind will will numb you you will just say this is not this is a saturday night live parody and uh anyway
0: but it, they very did very do a saturday night live parody michael right and they, they were right. taking the side
1: of yeah, the of professors
0: course. Of course! Why not? Exactly! But one, a, good, listen, one good thing is one of the people that were supposed to play, Elise Stefanik, said that they wouldn't do it. So at right, least right. there's one person in the Saturday Night Live cast right. that said, Ooh, this went a little too far.
2: You know, it's interesting, uh, Martha. I respect you greatly, and you indicate that I'm more cynical than you. Look, if we were taking this nation... Uh, into a medical exam, right? Uh, Let's pretend we're trying to examine what is the decay going on in America currently? Clearly, America's having some real significant problems. What is it? Is it a cold? Is it a flu? Is it cancer? What is it? Now, look, I argue that tragically we are at a stage that the malady is much more uh... related or or analogous to cancer this is not a cold darling this is not a flu this is not a minor little problem that needs to be tweaked with we are in very very serious trouble because for the last twenty or twenty five years we have done things that frankly are borderline suicidal for a society. I mean, if you wanted, if a society wanted to commit suicide, can you think of a better way to do it than opening up your borders? I mean, just letting people run in? I mean, that is an action of a society that frankly wants to commit suicide. And we've been doing this now for almost three years. The borders are effectively open yep. now. The and and happen and millions and millions of people have come into this country who we don't know. We don't know where they are, and and you think I'm cynical? Okay, uh, if that's and that's just one example. That's not talking about what, what's being taught at these schools, these elite, all colleges, almost all colleges, I shouldn't say all, but almost all colleges, and per- the worst of the worst are the elite schools. Don't send, don't give money to elite schools, uh, Ivy League schools, and don't, for the love of the Lord, let your kid go to them. I know you will risk certain prestige elements on your resume. I get it, but to have your kid be indoctrinated this way is sick, and, um, and you'll pay a terrible price for it. So, anyway, there's my cynical rant for the morning.
0: To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com, and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.